coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. All I ever wanted to be was an AFL player. From 18, didn't get drafted. Really spent the next 18 years searching for that identity. I wanted this one thing and it's all I've ever been interested in. And none of the courses at university interest, none of the jobs in the corporate world interested me. And I've been grappling with this thing personally, trying to like, who am I and what value and how do I be special in the world? And so it's been an 18 year journey for me. <laughs> what have the tools been? Crashing and burning a lot, man. Unfortunately for me, I've had to learn through pretty drastic crashes. Things have had to go really wrong for me to make change and reflect properly. I've struggled to kind of make these small iterations over time, but that has helped with my behavior change. Hi, I'm Cody Royal. I am Ollie's dad. I'm the author of The Tough Stuff and Where Others Won't. I'm a coach of head coaches in elite sport. And this is my episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with Cody Royal, coach, best-selling author, and former head coach of AFL Team Canada. Cody is a coach to coaches, author of The Tough Stuff and Where Others Won't. He coaches 15 head coaches from seven team sports globally. Roles range from cultural architect, mentor, confidant, facilitator, sounding board, to idea generator. He's worked with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, Pittsburgh Pirates, Premier League, amongst others. We spoke about self-care for coaches, his coaching philosophy, and how his writing style changed from his first book to his latest, how his confidence and voice grew from experience. Cody discussed how his work reflects a journey from Australia to Canada to Ireland and his links with here, and how his identity has changed with fatherhood. We unpacked people versus tech innovations and the skills of great coaches. FYI, Cody has a fantastic podcast. Check out Where Others Won't. Guests have included our friend Owen Eastwood, Crusaders head coach Scott Robertson, and Lisa Fallon, who will join our show in the coming months. Thanks for coming to our office in Dublin, Cody. Looking forward to this. Cody Royal, um, welcome to Dublin, where you know really well. Thanks so much for coming in today. We're looking forward to having a conversation with you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad I found the right building (laughs) after after you walked the streets looking for me, David. Yeah, there's there's an S in the name, which was the uh, which was the issue there. It's like, is this building under construction? We're like, no, it's not. But but Cody, uh, before we got on air, we found out that you do have Irish roots, which we didn't know are pretty extensive. Yeah, my wife's Irish from Sligo, so the other side of the country from here. But yeah, jumped on the train this morning down to Dublin, a couple of hours, and a bit of Wi-Fi, and respond to some emails, and here we are. You've been to Ireland a few times. Has it more than a few? More than a few. <laughs> we can nearly claim them. Irish people have a way of anyone who's been here for a while. Yeah, we might we might grab them, keep them. I put the flag in my uh, Twitter bio there, so yeah, I'm on board with that. I love this. So when you're returning back 
to AFL Canada, you're going back over the transatlantic flight. Is there anything in Ireland that has impacted you, that has changed what you've done in the last maybe 10 years that you said the Irish people, the Irish way or anything like that has impacted the things you do every day? Yeah, I'd say the, it's almost like a natural hospitality that comes across that I don't think really exists anywhere else in the world still that you guys have here. So for instance, one of my best mates in Toronto is another Aussie and uh, he was before our wedding, he came over and he was tracking his Irish heritage. And so he just went to the town that his you know, great, great grandfather was, was from and, and said the name and ended up, someone took them into his house and I think they ended up staying for dinner and there is nowhere else in the world that someone would invite you into their house just because you showed up and said, oh, this is my surname, but it still exists here. Yeah, whereas that might be weird to some people, that just sounds like vintage, vintage somewhere in Ireland. That, that happens all the time. It's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Well, we have it, uh, you know, my, my wife's family own a hotel in Sligo. And so there's so many people that just walk through the doors of the hotel and say, my last name is whatever. I've heard people from around here. Can you point me in the right direction? You know, like American tourists or something like that. And so, yeah, quite widespread. Into the coaching world, what do you bring from all these different places you've been? Obviously, born, grown up in Australia, and now spending lots of time either side of the Atlantic. How has all those different experiences culturally helped shape your work as a coach with coaches? Yeah, one of the reasons that I left Australia was uh, I think we forget that we're a big desert island in the middle of nowhere. And so the one thing Australia lacks is a little bit of context just because we're so far away from everything. And so one of the reasons I left was I wanted to go and explore the world and, and see what it's actually like. And part of that is coaching as well, is when you go in and see the NBA locker room and, and see, you know, spend time with a GAA team here and, and, and actually not just hear stories about how they're doing things actually go and see it and get your your hands dirty so i'm really fortunate now in that wherever i go in the world i'm able to go and observe and and speak to people on the ground that are getting their hands dirty that are dealing with challenges i've been really fortunate in that i absorb all that and it kind of comes back out in my coaching so it's it's like this rapid acceleration but it also feeds my interest in any team sport like I'm the kid that would sit there and watch cycling and rugby and Aussie rules and tiddlywinks, right? And I'd rather watch that than anything else. And so it feeds that for me as well. You're embarking on this journey to look around, to try and experience new, basically ways of doing things, new insights. How do you make sure that you're sort of backing yourself, giving yourself the confidence that you can achieve in different lands and different areas and in different sports, even if you've tried jumping here, jumping there. What is it about Cody Royal that you back yourself to go and do that and give yourself the courage to take them steps? Yeah, it's a great question. It hasn't always been there. You know, like if you, even if you read the tone of my first book or others one, there's a real lack of confidence in the, the book. And so the reason that I, kind of developed the, the storytelling that I did was because it was like, here's what I think, but here's kind of other people's stories. So not my story. I'm going to tell you someone else to validate it. And so, but actually by virtue of sharing all those stories, developed a confidence in myself because people started to take an interest and I started to see that, that validation that, that I was looking for. And so 
that started that journey. But then I'd say what really had it take off was when you really do boil things down, uh, team sport coaching is team sport coaching. The team invasion sports underneath the way that I interpret them, it's all the same. It's manipulating space and time with a team of people, defending your goal, attacking the opposition's goal and trying to score, whether that's basketball, netball, soccer, rugby, Aussie rules, lacrosse. And so really when you walk into new environments, they're not new environments. At the base level, they are exactly the same and there's human beings in there and uh, there's human beings that are coaching them and they have struggles. And uh, this is really where the tough stuff came from is what I wanted people to understand is foundationally we're all struggling with the same things because we're human beings and we go through this lived experience. And so it's taken me 10 years to get the confidence to, to understand those things, both about myself and then be able to walk into yeah, locker rooms and stand in front of groups and talk about them and things like that. So it wasn't always there, but I think I pieced it together and arrived at, we're all human. <laughs> when we're looking at players that really successful players and have made the move into coaching, and somebody that jumps out to mind close to home at the moment is Ronan O'Gara, who's made that transition and obviously just won the big cup for La Rochelle. What is it about O'Gara and other coaches that have excelled as players? And then why is it that some coaches who maybe try to make that move from player don't quite make it? What do you look for as, as a coach of coaches? Yeah, this one's quite simple for me. It comes down to the mechanics of coaching versus the dynamics of coaching. The people that or the player, the former players that tend to fail, I think they have a perception of mechanics. They have really good mechanics of coaching. How far apart are my cones? Uh, the kind of things that we educate coaches on in badges. Um, and, and we tell them this is what you need to be successful. And if your cones are a little bit too far apart, it's not going to translate to the pitch. So if you focus there, that can get you so far, but ultimately where the successful coaches land, and Ronan is one of these, you can see in the way that he talks and the language that he uses is quite far developed, is the dynamics, the human dynamics, the teams, the, the relationships between the players, the relationship between him and individuals, but also him and the group and how to motivate groups and uh, what caring means. He talks about caring and really caring. Like these are his words. He talks about really caring about people. When you're at that level, I think you can both navigate the ups and downs of motivation, uh, the ups and downs of the pain that comes with a season, the ups and downs of expectations, and you've probably got the mechanics of coaching ticked off anyway. So that's what I look for. Are you paying attention to the, the dynamics of the team rather than the X's and O's and the cones and when training blocks are? Yeah, I think building into dynamics of a team, we saw an example of one of the best cultures that we've observed from the outside anyway, Golden State Warriors recently be successful again. And it seems like they're quite a different franchise in in. American basketball than the other contenders at the moment who seem to look for stars that they can piece together, whereas Golden State have a focus on drafting and developing young players and maybe focusing on ones that others have passed on, like Andrew Wiggins, who they've changed and was almost the second best player in the finals. Why do you think, just 
if you have an experience of it, why do you think they've got it so right? What are they doing in order to get these pieces together and make them part of the whole, make the synergistic effect huge compared to other teams? Yeah. I mean, the Wiggins one, obviously, being a, a Canadian or a, an adopted Canadian is huge for us. Um, and it's something that we knew was there, right? Because uh, we obviously have watched him closely grow up. Well, one of the things you, you talked about is I think Golden State and their players and their methodology all the way up, they have alignment. They seem to have alignment between the ownership, the general manager, the coach, all the way down to the players. And so that's a huge one organizationally is not many places are that aligned. They're not on the same page. They might have a general manager who thinks that they're the, the golden piece, right? I talk about the God particle. So they might think that it's about, well, who have I drafted high or who have I uncovered that is more talented than their draft position? Or they might have a coach who's egotistical or an owner who just doesn't get it. So Golden State seems to be very just, up and down all on the same page. So that's one thing, because if you've got harmony there, that's a big piece of the, the puzzle, particularly in quite complex environments like the NBA. But also just, uh, I think they put all their guys in positions to succeed. They draft them for particular reasons and they let them do those things. And, you know, again, we talk about the, the desire to be, you know, autonomous and have competence and be able to show those things and the relatedness. And, and I think they, they nail all of those components together by allowing their guys to feel good because I'm a three-point shooter, so you let me shoot threes rather than trying to change someone and be like, oh, you can't dribble off the left and, and hit this fadeaway jumper. There's too many, I think, too many people trying to do tricky things. And I think they just let their, their people do what they do best, including Steve Kerr, clearly. He is just himself and he just does what he does. We often talk about like the R&R and the kind of your authentic self. You touched on one of the hard truths there. God particle. Love the other ones. Cohesion beats tactics. Connection over correction. We've touched on elements already in the last couple of minutes. I think that's really important. A lot of the work we do here in Ireland, people are always asking us about needing forging stronger teams, more connection, more collaboration, bringing people together because we haven't been together what is it about all that stuff that we can really look at as to how to improve it? Where do you start? Where do we start and how can we get it better? Yeah, I talk in the book about seam work. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to start for any organization, regardless of what you're in, is the way that we build organizations is in these silos. And the bigger you get, the more siloed they become. And your know, marketing sits over here and you know, in sport, it's performance sits here and medical sits next to them, but kind of aren't them. And, and so we build these hierarchies and we, we put people in silos, but then there's no work across the seams in between all those silos. And so that's where I think we get stuck in terms of teamwork and collaboration and cohesion and, and real true team building is there's very rarely someone working on the seams between them. But that is the glue that holds organizations together and teams together. And so I think focusing on that work between organizations, whatever that looks like, obviously different resources mean you can do different things. But I think giving opportunities for either people to work across silos or, um, or understand different silos, understand different people within the organization is a good starting place for anyone. 
And Cody, we, we kind of touched on it over our coffee uh, in the preamble before this. If we're doing that work and people are always interested in scoring us or quantitatively, what does that look like away from just the dialogue? How can we say, well, this is where you are in terms of togetherness. This is a new leadership group. You're newly formed, but we can bring it to this level. What does that process look like? And maybe how can you give someone some clarity as to you, you are currently here, we can bring you to here in terms of that seam work that you're touching on? I, I would actually advise against scoring it initially. I think that's maybe one of the mistakes that we make is we go to, and maybe this is indicative of the world right now, is trying to quantify every single thing all the time. Sometimes, and particularly in leadership, you just have to let the, the magic happen um, and believe in it for a little while. Like, go and do the work. Don't worry about moving the needle straight away. As you go through that, organically measures start to appear that are more fitting for the thing that you're actually trying to measure anyway. Uh, and so, again, I, I understand why we're inclined that way. And I understand business and sport and everything is about measurement and winning and all these different things. But sometimes you just have to let humans do magic and trust that it's going to result in, in what you want at the end. And so I think even if it's agreed, we're not going to measure this for the next quarter, we're just going to do the work and then let's get together next quarter and see if we can come up with, you know, once we've spoken to our people, once we've done the work and maybe reorged it a little bit and made some new uh, connections, then let's get back together and decide how we're going to move forward with something to measure. When you're embodying that, is there a risk that there could be maybe organizational or a team cognitive dissonance that we feel like we're all working very hard? We, we're really putting shoulder to the wheel here. We're all coming in, showing up every day. But overall, it's actually it's embodying a culture of fatigue versus a culture of excellence. And it's really pushing people to give a lot of effort, pushing workload, but not looking at the results. Is there a risk without measuring them initial phases that you focus too much on, okay, subjective, I think we're doing well here. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, it, it's all a change management process, right? And so that's got to be part of the, what you factor in as a risk is there becomes some, some cognitive dissonance. And I think what you'll find though is the reason that there is generally struggle is everyone's squeezing too tight, including leadership. And so the, the, the nature of saying, look, we're just going to get a few things right. We're going to create some cohesion and we're going to create some belonging. We're going to do some cultural work and we're going to upgrade some of these things. Generally, there's going to be a sigh of relief more than anything because the reason teams tend to struggle is everyone's holding on so tight and they're just white-knuckling it. And so, I, yeah, what I've seen happen way more often than not is everyone goes, ah, oh, okay, so I can just be good at what I'm good at for a little while and we'll get back to, um, you know, some straightening out of, of what we're measuring later on. I know you speak about in your books about innovation through people. So you're looking at that. So if organizations are looking and the movements kind of now at the moment is looking at metaverse, is looking at augmented reality, virtual reality, and that seems to be what innovation is tied with. We, we, it's almost synonymous with tech moving forward as opposed to people. Why do you think we've missed out on focusing on innovation through individuals and getting people to lead that? Yeah. So I wrote Where Others Won't in 2017 because I, I spotted back then that innovation was seen as product 
right? And even before product, it was it was infrastructure, right? It was always a faster factory, right? Faster assembly line was seen as innovation. And then it moved to product and it's kind of still stuck there. And now you're right, it's it's skipped over people and kind of gone to the metaverse again. Um, but those are, again, I, I think there's a, a misconception of that is still just people. And um, ultimately what I keep coming back to is, yeah, they are the source of, of innovation. The iPhone didn't create itself. Human beings designed, built all of it, right? Didn't just materialize. And so when you do strip it back, there are people behind that. And so that's why, yeah, I think we, we do miss a beat there. But the organizations, sporting, business, otherwise, that understands that it is people behind that and can look at how do we set our people up for success and to innovate more rapidly, they're still going to be the ones that get ahead because technology has leveled the playing field to the point where I think the, the term that I use is you can spend millions and years you know, developing this new software package and within two days of launch, some kid in their basement in Russia has copied and done cheaper than what you've done, right? And so, so, yeah, so you've blown through all this. So, but that's what I mean. The people are the innovation. And so what, what they can always replicate the products, they can't replicate the people. Moving away from that a little bit and talking about the person, we're talking about the person in the room here and, and coaching. And you've learned so much about coaching. We're asking about coaching. And, and that's really why we also wanted to talk to you today. How has your philosophy changed over the years? And kind of what does it look like today? And, and kind of what are the values that even underpin that for you as a coach, working with other coaches and helping them understand themselves better? Look, I've arrived here not by design, really. I was a head coach until uh, about a year ago and then stopped coaching my team uh, off the back of writing the tough stuff and started working directly with coaches. And, and again, that came off the back of the book. It wasn't designed to do that. I wasn't trying to become a consultant. I wasn't trying to work with coaches. But um, it felt a little bit divine. You know, the heavens opened up and the sun kind of shined down and said, this is an opportunity for you. And, and so really the, the way that I coach coaches is no different to how I was coaching the, the players that I worked with, the team that I had, Team Canada. Um, you're trying to create the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like. And so I probably differ from a lot in this in that, I don't have a process. I don't, I'm not, there's no 12 week plan. There's no, you know, go through these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, there's no tests. There's no, I walk into coaching relationships with, fortunately for me, some of the best coaches in the world and say, how do we get you better that's authentically you? Not become me, you shouldn't have to coach like me. Uh, and build plans around those individuals. So similar to what we were just talking about is how do we innovate around that person? How do we set that person up so that coaching performance is central to their life rather than just being on the hamster wheel of what they've either seen previously or what they think coaching is? And, and that often comes with you know, tough conversations, uh, reframing of what coaching is, not just for them, but for the organization. So, you know, one example is 
I talk a lot about coaches needing sleep, right? They're, they're high-performance knowledge workers. So they've got to protect their brains, which means getting sleep. So what does that mean? The coach isn't going to be in the building as much as they historically are. They're not going to be in the office watching film until 3 a.m. They're going to be at home cooking dinner for their, their children and wife and then uh, go to bed. So that's like an organizational thing that everyone needs to understand. I can't just pop into the coach's office and talk like I used to, right? And so there's a big change management process that comes after that. But foundationally, it's all uh, the same coaching because you would go through that with a player. Where, do you, where are you currently? Where do you want to be? How do we have some conversations so that everything aligns with, with what you're trying to do and, and make some, uh, some changes around that? And so, uh, yeah, I've been fortunate that I've been able to carry my 15 years of head coaching experience through into um, now working solely with head coaches, solely at the elite level, but the coaching kind of mechanisms underneath are the same. I think something you're touching on there is about being authentic and self-identity. And something we've noticed on your Twitter feed, on your Twitter bio, it's Ollie's dad and Stephanie's husband, first and foremost. Yeah. Was that always part of Cody Royal's core identity or has it changed? Would a 25-year-old or 22-year-old Cody Royal say that first on his Twitter bio, do you think? No, no way. No way. And that's there because it's a little bit of a statement because I've, I've written about it. Uh, and, But no, definitely not. And... I think we all need to be on that journey and we all need to arrive at that destination when we're ready for it. And it's taken me a long time to be ready for it. And I described to you earlier about a lack of confidence in my first book, for instance. And so there's no way that I really understood who I was or the value that Cody Royal brought to the world at that point, but it's arrived in the subsequent years when I've been ready for it. So, yeah, I think without pushing people into it. I think you can kind of insinuate that, you know, you should be heading in this direction if you can and identifying yourself as a father, son, husband, wife, sister, brother, whatever it may be first. And then that leads you to further discoveries about who you are. But um, yeah, there's no way 25 year old, 25 year old Cody was still trying to be an AFL player. So <laughs> that would have been, that would have been his Twitter bio back then. Did you, did you use any tools or was there any moments where you, that became in aligned with what your identity was? So I'm just thinking about individuals who are trying to build that self-awareness and we speak about self-awareness a lot. When you're going through them, the moments of trying to understand who you are, and it can be over the course of a decade or longer, what kind of, what kind of approach do you use? Is reflection a big part? Is it, I don't think design thinking was, as you mentioned it today, much got to do with it. What's your tools that you've used in order to make that the, the core of the identity? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for me, because uh, I, I have been searching for this this identity. So, like the, the full backstory was, you know, I all I ever wanted to be was an AFL player, professional Aussie rules player in Australia. So from eighteen, didn't get drafted, and so I really spent the next eighteen years searching for that identity. Like I, I wanted this one thing, and it's all I've ever been interested in, and none of the courses at university interested me and none of the jobs in the corporate world interested me. And, and so again, you know, owing to that, that lack of confidence that I talked about is I've, I've been grappling with this thing personally, trying to like, who am I and what value and how do I, how do I be special in the world and bring something special into the world? 
And so it's been an 18-year journey for me. So what have the tools been? Uh, crashing and burning a lot, man. Uh, and unfortunately for me, I've had to learn through pretty drastic crashes. Uh, and so my reflections have been very up and down. You know, for me personally, it's been things have had to go really wrong for me to make change and reflect properly. I've struggled to kind of make these small iterations over time, uh, just personally going through it. But that has helped with my behaviour change. So maybe I personally have to learn through, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> crashing a few times. <laughs> I'm trying to get better at that. But, um, uh, yeah, and again, I really where I'm going with this is I, I still believe that we can try to accelerate it for people, but ultimately they need to arrive there themselves. And so however that's done, hopefully it's not these drastic off-the-cliff moments like I've had. And I try to maybe guide people away from that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't even think I would say – I don't want to answer your question like I've got some tool for it because I haven't. It's just been living through the, the crap, unfortunately. We've all lived through crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wading through it all the time still That's today. That is yeah. Crazy. Flipping and coming off the cliff <laughs> or not getting to the cliff or skydiving. Out or What's exciting? What's coming up that's really – lighting you up again for me uh learning to be a dad uh, so i'm ollie's dad first so uh, that's exciting and it is learning to be a dad there's nothing that can prepare you people tell you all the stuff it's a little bit like coaching i guess they tell you all the stuff and you don't listen and you think you're going to be different uh and then you end up realizing that when they left the pub early or when they you know, had to run home or they couldn't come out or whatever, that it was genuine. So that's interesting to me. And within that, that has changed my perception of human development. So watching a currently six-month-old develop skills and learning has kind of reformulated how I think about what we teach to athletes and people about their own development. Because when, you, when it's your own and you see him do things and learn, uh, it's yeah, it's a very new uh, perspective on on life. Uh, and then the other thing again is I, I get to walk into, fortunately, some of the the highest performing organisations with the highest performing coaches in the world and, and help them out. And and I learn more than I give in those environments. Being able to absorb and observe what they do and why and understand how they're trying to navigate the challenges of seasons and championships and getting over humps and getting out of slumps. I learned so much more than I give out to those organizations. And so that's always interesting to me as the sports nut that would watch tiddlywinks over, you know, another show. So uh, yeah, that's, what's interesting at the moment. What has your son taught you? That we have certainly boxed ourselves into a way of thinking about human development and skill development that i don't necessarily agree with anymore because now that I'm watching it up close and personal about what you can teach to a very young person, yeah, I think it's made me realise some of the methodologies are maybe guided more by academia than the real world. And, again, it's kind of taken me watching a, a young brain absorb 
and regurgitate and then also putting him in situations that allow him to learn things, you realise, yeah, maybe we've boxed ourselves in a little bit much and if we expanded ourselves out, we have so much potential. Uh, And I think the potential comes from that outside of the box rather than in the box that we're in at the moment. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's what I'm thinking at the moment. I'm interested to see how that continues over the next couple of years. Yeah, that's just sparked the thought in my head about when we're young, we expose children and newborns to new environments, different things, so they experience all, the, all of whatever the world has to offer. And we see what they like or what, where they can grow, what their potential is through that. Yet when we almost silo ourselves to a career path or to an organization, we remove all of that and we silo in the, the exposure. Yeah. Maybe to failure, maybe to experiencing new things, but do you think there's a lot of maybe fruit to bear for, for organization, for people to just go completely and cognitive diversity is becoming a lot more to the forefront and being highlighted a lot more, but how much fruit to bear is with that? Like, and going forward for organization, should we be thinking about, yeah, let's let our marketing executive go and teach sailing the weekend. And maybe we should promote that for him or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it comes back to that. People are the innovation, right? Like, what we tend to do is uh, if we see, you know, the boss walks into the office and, and, and the, you know, the computer screens and everyone shuts down their window, right, whatever they're looking at, and they're probably looking at what they're passionate about. And you think about what would be possible if when you saw someone watching the sailing video in the marketing department, if instead of saying, come into my office, I'm going to write you up for not working, what if you said, teach me what you're so passionate about with sailing and why and like explain it to me here's a here's a whiteboard marker i want you to come and like why why does this bring out so such a visceral reaction from you and then you wonder the possibilities of one the impact of your learning as a leader but then also the the impact on that person oh my god you know imagine even just going home and telling your partner do you know what happened today like my boss carved out an hour to listen to me talk about what I'm really passionate about. So that, that's just one interaction. And then you think about, you know, what could happen off the back of that. But that's what I mean. There's, there's so much potential that lies outside of those borders and those boxes that uh, is unrealized. I'm really interested in, in those possibilities, but not just, not for the sake of just doing that. I think there are, advantages to performance whether that's sales whether that's um the marketing whether whether it's coaching leadership whatever like broader human development just by doing things like that or thinking that way my last question for you cody is we've touched a lot on human development and all the stuff that you've absorbed and now we're giving it out (laughs) and we've talked about out of the box thinking what is it now that you're eating up what's the stuff that's really piquing your curiosity and maybe that's going to help inform what next metaverse. the metaverse <laughs> the metaverse yeah. not the metaverse I'm, I'm i'm pausing on the metaverse i i i do i understand the idea i i, I kind of believe in that world i'm just i'm i'm not an early adopter uh so i'm curious to see what it becomes first but yeah what's really interesting at the moment for me is uh is teamwork um, we were describing to you before we came in here over coffee. I, I, I think m- maybe we've over-indexed a little bit on the individual development within teams. 
Again, I think that owes probably to scientific method in that we can measure individual development, right? We can strap devices to you and we can tell you all these different things. And so that becomes a curiosity, but I believe in that to a certain point, but on Saturday, La Rochelle run out as 15 and they better bloody act as a team. And so the GPS doesn't measure that. And the, and so, again, from a, a head coaching perspective is you're, you're there to develop a team. And so I think the team development is, it sounds really bizarre to say, I think it's almost underdeveloped at this point. I think we've over-indexed. And so really I'm looking at yeah, teamwork and cohesion and, um, you know, Owen Eastwood, we were talking about his work before belonging and, and how we uh, develop teams because what I understand is, that individual will act a certain way as an individual, but they will act a different way in a group dynamic. And so that is a curiosity for me in that once you put someone in a group dynamic, how do they fit into roles? Do they want to fit into roles? How their behaviour changes when they're in a group? And this is everyone, right? It's not just elite sporting teams. It's when you go to work, you believe a certain thing as an individual but you believe and act another way once you're in the office. And so I'm kind of exploring that and then how you bring that out in people as a leader. It's excellent. And thanks so much for all the, the insights so far. The final question of oh. today, um, when we ask everybody who comes on, it's what does high performance mean to you? That's a good question for me because I, because I come from teams and again, I, I'm really interested in teamwork over individuals. As much as I've talked about human development, <laughs> um, I think it's uh, I think it's connecting and belonging in a team and achieving things with the team. And that doesn't mean winning things necessarily. I, I you know, I high performance to me is uh, when you go to when you go to a reunion, like when you get into late 30s and things, you start to go to reunions with your team members and you, and you, don't, and you don't talk about winning or anything. You talk about the funny stories that happened as a group and the funny things that you did and games and particular characters that you played with and, and it just brings this smile to everyone's face when they're around and they're telling stories. And I know it sounds bizarre to answer that question, like what is high performance? I actually think that might be it. That, that creation of experiences and lived experiences with other people. Um, because as human beings, we're, we're really shit as individuals in the animal kingdom, right? Like we, the thing that we are great at is social learning. Social learning is our superpower and, and we become supercharged in social environments. It's why we're sitting in a building here because a group of people got together to build it for us. And so I actually think it, a social environments and social learning is high performance. That's why we do it together, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah, see? So you've supercharged each other. Cheesier right? as well, um, Cody Royal, thanks so much for, uh, for coming, coming in to see us today and uh, spending some time with us and teaching and educating us and sharing your stories. We really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me guys. And I hope to come back visit next time. Perfect. We know you're in Ireland now. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to claim you. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.